Hallmark Quality Control. Greetings and welcome to episode 6 of Hallmark Quality Control. I'm Ansley. I'm Regan. And I'm Morgan. Today we're going to be covering the season finale of One Calls the Heart, season 1, episodes 11 and 12, Rules of Engagement and Prelude to a Kiss. There's a lot going on in the episode, so let's get started with the summary. We open this episode in the classroom as Elizabeth fields questions about her love life and then welcomes the Weaver children to town. The eldest, Wyatt, is starting his new job in the mine tomorrow despite being very intelligent. Elizabeth offers him two university-level books to read on his own. Two days later, on his way to the mine, Wyatt returns to Elizabeth, having read both books cover to cover. Recognizing that Wyatt has an obvious academic gift, Elizabeth resolves that he will not see his fate swallowed by the mine. In the meantime, it's also time for Julie to return home to Cape Fullerton. Before leaving, she makes one last half-hearted plea for Elizabeth to come home, which Elizabeth shrugs off. As Julie boards the stagecoach, a beautiful and mysterious woman steps off. The confident and worldly woman introduces herself as Rosemary Laveau. Sensing Rosemary to be a visitor, Elizabeth kindly makes small talk and inquires as to what has brought Rosemary to Coal Valley. Rosemary immediately exclaims that she's in town to be with her fiancé. As Elizabeth digs deeper into whom Rosemary's fiancé is, Elizabeth catches a glimpse of Jack and lights up. Her smile soon turns to horror as Rosemary exclaims that Jack is her fiancé. A stunned Elizabeth stands and watches as Rosemary bounds into a stunned Jack's arms and Elizabeth makes a quick escape. Meanwhile, Jack scolds Rosemary for suddenly appearing after leaving him two years prior to pursue a life in the theater. Rosemary is here to rekindle their relationship to Jack's surprise and annoyance. After some witty banter, Jack leaves Rosemary in the saloon to get a hotel room. In the jail, Jack encounters Bill Avery, a forensic investigator sent to build a case against the mining company. To get his investigation started, Bill immediately heads to meet with Abigail. The two hit it off in what soon turns into a more than just professional relationship. Abigail promises to aid the investigation in any way she can, despite continued and escalating threats from Gowan, who threatens her reputation and the reputation of her late husband. When Abigail and Bill do not back down, Gowan tells Abigail that he will destroy her. In the saloon before class, Jack attempts to make amends with Elizabeth by explaining how Rosemary left him and promising that he's going to regain her trust. Emotions continue to run high while Elizabeth runs into Rosemary at the general store, where Rosemary's poignant jabs are both making friends and making waves. Annoyed, Elizabeth gathers her things to leave, but not before one of the shop attendants hands her a letter. It's from her father, who has secured her a job offer at a prestigious academy in Cape Fullerton, where she would be the first female teacher on their staff. As Abigail and Elizabeth mutually confide about both the job offer and the court case, Rosemary manages to eavesdrop on the conversation from outside before smugly walking off with the emotional ammunition she needs to steal Jack's heart. She wastes no time in seeking out Jack and joining his target practice. When her obvious flirtations lead nowhere, Rosemary tells Jack that Elizabeth is leaving to Jack's devastation and Rosemary's satisfaction. As Jack confronts Elizabeth about her teaching job offer back east, Elizabeth challenges Jack to confront his feelings, not just for her, but for Rosemary as well. Jack promises to take some time to think about his true feelings. Meanwhile, the investigation into the deadly mine disaster is heating up. While gathering evidence in the destroyed mine shaft, Bill is assaulted by masked assailants. His injuries are not life-threatening, but the message has clearly been sent. The assault sends Mounty Jack into the darkness to try and find the culprits. As he rides back into town without the culprits, he finds Elizabeth sitting outside looking into the distance. While she claims she's looking for Haley's comet, it's obvious that Elizabeth's true motive is her concern for Jack. Concern for the future of the town has motivated the mine disaster's lone survivor, Mr. Miller, to propose a bold plan to rebuild the church and the schoolhouse. While the townsfolk are struggling to make ends meet and cannot afford the materials, Mr. Gowan suggests that the company could foot the bill if it weren't for that pesky pesky investigation. Mr. Gowan also suggests that Bill's judgment may be clouded due to his, quote, friendship with Abigail. When Elizabeth comes to Abigail's defense, Gowan suggests that her replacement would be better suited to engage in the debate, effectively silencing most of the opposition. 
Despite Rosemary's efforts, including petty defacement of Jack's drawings and circulating the rumor mill, she achieves little in the way of winning Jack's heart. The final act comes in the saloon where Rosemary, while putting on a show, plays the song that was playing when Jack proposed to her. The performance pushes him over the edge, and Jack finally confronts Rosemary over his feelings about her and Elizabeth. While acknowledging that old feelings have resurfaced, Jack has come to realize that his relationship with Elizabeth is what he wants to pursue. Meanwhile, during the next town meeting, Mr. Miller reveals that an anonymous donor has helped raise the money for the church and schoolhouse. The townspeople soon deduce that Jack donated his entire reward for the capture of the Tolliver gang to the rebuilding of the church and school. While the townsfolk celebrate, Gowan takes another opportunity to make a move against Abigail and the pending investigation. Gowan and the company lawyer accuse Mr. Stanton of being reckless in his duties as supervisor in order to pay off a steep debt that he had acquired. Abigail is devastated as the town folks start to turn on her. Later in the cafe, Abigail reveals to Elizabeth even she is not sure if Noah was to blame. The next morning, Elizabeth arrives at school to find all her students in their seats awaiting her. On the chalkboard, they write a poem from their first week together. The students shower her with drawings and cards. Overcome with emotion, Elizabeth reveals that she's decided not to leave Coal Valley to the joy of all the students. Later that day, Jack escorts Abigail to the stagecoach to welcome District Judge Black. As Judge Black greets the pair, Abigail remarks that she and the other widows have waited a long time for their day in court. Judge Black responds, saying the day is here now, but that he cannot promise that they will like the results. As Bill arrives, it is clear that the two men are old acquaintances on disgruntled terms. Judge Black asks for a witness list, which Abigail immediately runs to fetch from Bill's room, where she happens upon a picture of Bill's family and a wedding ring. Although the trial is looming, Elizabeth's decision to stay in Coal Valley is of great relief to many of the town folk, including Jack. Later in the afternoon, Jack appears in the saloon and asks Elizabeth to take a walk with him. On the walk, Jack presents Elizabeth with a gift, a hand-drawn picture of her and Jack. As promised, Jack says he has taken the time to think long and hard about his relationship with Elizabeth. She is the one and only person he wants to be with. Jack asks her not to leave, and Elizabeth smiles and says she's not going anywhere and that this is where she belongs. Then the two share a kiss. With Elizabeth clearly victorious in the race for Jack's affection, Elizabeth sees Rosemary with her bag on her way out of the saloon. Elizabeth wishes her well and asks that they part as friends. Rosemary agrees before revealing that she is not in fact leaving for New York, but moving down the street so she can stay in Coal Valley to start a theater group with the help of the mayor. That is the season finale of One Calls the Heart Season 1. There was a lot in there and I know we're going to have some strong opinions about what happens in here. So I'm anxious to hear you guys' initial thoughts on these episodes. <laughs> so what do you think about these episodes? Where to start, right? Now there's a lot going on with uh, Jack and Elizabeth, obviously. And it's kind of this, you know, tug and pull in their relationship where there's all these different obstacles and, you feel like, oh man, he's finally going to come back into town and they'll be able to be happy together. And then Rosemary just throws a wrench in the whole thing and really makes Elizabeth question if she, if she knows Jack well, which is a valid question since in the last set of episodes, he said he was not very experienced um, when it came to romance. And I would say that if you had a childhood sweetheart that you were engaged to, I would call that pretty experience. Experience, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a little bit misleading of him. Um, and so then she's, you know, having to sort through um, just if he can be trusted and if he's genuine. And he really, the whole time, is annoyed by Rosemary and, um, you know, doesn't really take to her advances but there are some different things that he does that kind of he, he doesn't shut her down either he mm -hmm. kind of leaves it open he's kind of in an awkward position of where this is his friend and his ex-fiance but um you know there was the time where he is talking to elizabeth beneath her window and rosemary comes up and he kind of smirks at what rosemary says to him and it's like okay you probably should have been a little bit sterner there and maybe elizabeth wouldn't have slammed her window and then um when Rosemary hops up onto the horse with him and stuff. I mean, he just doesn't yeah. 
push her away like he should. Rosemary, yeah. they pretty much make her as obnoxious and obtuse as is possible without making her, like, just a villain. Entirely self-centered, you just know? Just yes. how, how totally obnoxious and self-centered and egoistic is it to come into town and say, oh, my fiancé's here, when you literally left him not just a short time ago, literally two years ago, and you feel like you have the wherewithal to come into town and say, oh, that's my fiancé, as if yeah. as if he his whole world centered around you and you can just pick that up whenever you feel like it because you wanted to. That's just the most obnoxious. And she goes and, about it in such an unladylike fashion, yes. just defacing Elizabeth whenever possible, sharing private information, taking just obnoxious jabs at people and really cutting Elizabeth down and it doesn't make you like her very much. But well, at the same time, wonder... but at the same time, she's mischievous and you could see how that would pair up with some of Jack's mischievousness. Like this is a guy who drew himself and Elizabeth kissing on a mural that was going in front of the whole town and you could see how maybe he would kind of think that that some of her antics are funny. I mean, it's kind of a side of him we haven't seen too much. I mean, it feels like kind of a departure. And she's probably ramped up how obnoxious she is. But at the same time, it is kind of hard to see the two of them together previously, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And, I mean, I guess when you think about, you know, episode one, Jack coming into town, he... You know, he's looking for adventure. He hates this little town that he's ended up in. Yeah. Immediately requests a transfer. He's a little bit more brazen. And so I feel like there's a balance in terms of when you're writing a character of having them grow, but also not having them be such a departure from what they yeah. used to be. And it kind of just makes you wonder, like, maybe there's just a little bit of a flaw in how his character is written in terms of continuity. Well, well and you, you wonder if, I mean, to me, watching this season having an ex-fiance show up at the very end of the season is not what I would have expected from the show. And so it does, I think that and Rosemary's whole persona does feel like a little bit of a departure, but you could maybe see, especially imagining him, you know, two years ago, uh, what he was like. You can imagine that he was a little bit more brash and roguish i mean we've seen that side of him a little bit you can imagine that but it is hard to imagine them together when rosemary seems to be acting like reagan said in such an unladylike fashion it almost like completely unaware of how mean she is except she is aware which makes it worse because she's doing it on purpose you know there's people who are insensitive and say rude things because they don't have self-awareness but rosemary knows and is doing it on purpose and i think that just makes her look kind of mean and petty i think that jack and rosemary probably don't have objective views of each other so it sounded like they were childhood friends And sometimes when you're a child and you're friends with someone, you don't see clearly um, flaws in their personality or something that develop as they get older because this is a person that you grew up with that's, it's so familiar that you don't see them from an objective point of view. And then as an adult, you maybe could look back on that and go, you know, that person is not maybe the kind of person I would pick now. But until mm-hmm. you have that separation, the the familiarity keeps the relationship close. But Rosemary probably is not, she's not actually seeing who Jack is anymore either. She, this is someone that she left two years ago who, as we've even seen him change over the course of the season, who's been through Mountie School since and all kinds of harrowing adventures, I'm sure. Um, and she's leaving a an unfulfilled stage career that she wasn't happy with. So for her, he might look like the romanticized alternate path her life could have taken. Like yeah. she can still reclaim the life her that fallback she wants plan. if she can just swoop into town and get that man that she had as a backup plan. But he's not the same person either. So she's probably seeing him from rose colored glasses. Yeah, and he, I mean, she mentions, oh, he wanted to be an artist, and he, um, you can save money to build that ranch you've always wanted, and things like that, where yeah. 
she doesn't even pretend to try to find out how his life has changed and mm-hmm. anything new about him or get to know him again. She just immediately assumes that she wants him back, he wants her back, that, you know, they'll just yeah. pick up. Yeah. And Jack's point that it's like, it was two years. I mean, that's a good point. She's kind of acting like, oh, man, it's time. It's whatever. It's two minutes. It's, you know, and maybe even Jack can see the ways that not only that he has changed, but that she has changed. And maybe she is more obnoxious. I mean, two years of living in New York and being (laughs) in a bunch of productions, you know. With someone who is probably not subtle to begin with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and she she kept bringing up and kind of putting in Elizabeth's face. Well, how well do you actually know him? I grew up with him. I was engaged to him. We knew each other so well. And she's entirely missing the point that she doesn't know him anymore. He's something like that. Plus the year, two years of experience he's had since he's changed as a person. And she's like you were saying, she's completely choosing to be oblivious to the fact and not even acknowledging that I broke up with you to go, you know, choose a stage career. And when that didn't work out, I came back to you because you were my plan B. You know, like, I, I think, though, they did a good job in um, making her very opposite of Elizabeth uh, in the fact that from Elizabeth's perspective, you can kind of see Rosemary as that girl that I feel like everybody knows a girl like this who's kind of larger than life and you either love them or hate them a little bit. And Rosemary is so larger than life. But I think what really struck me was when she was in the saloon playing that song that was playing when Jack had proposed to her and the song was You Made Me Love You. I just thought that was very appropriate that she was singing, you made me love you. I didn't want to do it. That's what she's trying to do is to force Jack to be in love with her again. And it doesn't work out for her. It's a little foreshadowing on their uh, future (laughs) relationship. Did you notice when she was playing in the saloon the first time that she was playing like the classic saloon song? That's like the only song you ever hear played in saloons (laughs) in television and games and everything. It's like, yeah. You're, oh, you're such that a great one pianist, but you time. only know that yeah. one that one song. It's like when you're, when you're in high school and everyone thinks they're hot stuff because they can play piano a little bit, and they always play the river. That song, or they the play river, Heart and Soul. Or they play Heart and Soul. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you're not impressing anybody with that song. In the college dorm, it was always Adele's Someone Like You. Someone mm. would always play that on the piano. You know, and then when... Rosemary finally concedes, and not very graciously, I must say. Jack ends up sort of saying, I'm sorry things didn't work out. It's like, why is he apologizing? She came into town. She found out where he worked. She came into his town and made insinuations about being engaged to him, even not caring how his life may have changed or who else that would be insulting to, and acted a fool and he's the one saying, I'm sorry. Like, he could have been married be for all that she knew. Yeah, what does she know about his life? I, yeah, it's. She must have realized what a slow mover he is. But, you know, we'll get to that in the future. Also, <laughs> yeah. did, did you notice that she was wearing pants? Yes. yes. Hey, guys, Poppy I'm going to have to cancel Casual Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kill him. I can't go back to wearing pants. <laughs> she was wearing pants and they didn't really mention it but you haven't seen any of the other ladies wear pants yeah in like a normal everyday situation that's I, not like watch just, me move rocks can i just say i hated that all the women in the town succumbed to the pressure to wear red and that elizabeth went along with it like come I feel on like it was, elizabeth surely it was accidental elizabeth didn't do that on purpose did we she? never see her she wear red at any other point red Yes. She always wears, then, like, pastels and light colors, which are the most impractical for living on the prairie. Honestly, <laughs> she looked really good in it. I'm not yeah. saying that she didn't. But she, it was just so obvious. And it was just like, oh, man, you just, you lost yeah. your credibility a little bit. That's yeah. not the right word for it. But you stooping. know what I mean? It's she just like, stooped come a little on. Yeah. With the red. <laughs> but I thought, I thought it was, um... I enjoyed a lot of the dialogue in these two episodes. I thought they wrote a lot of interesting banter, both between 
Jack and Rosemary, and then also Jack and Elizabeth had some banter, and then Elizabeth and Rosemary had some banter. I mean, when Rosemary gives that line in the general store about, we have a common interest who also wears red, and then when Jack's dropping Rosemary off at the saloon, they've got a little bit of back and forth, and yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It seemed much more crafted than maybe usual and I also thought they had some nice moments between Elizabeth and Abigail where Abigail's really trying to like act like the wingman you know when Rosemary initially comes into town Elizabeth and Abigail are looking out the cafe window and Abigail's sort of she's not that pretty yeah Abigail's like she's not not even pretty pretty. she's not pretty you're way prettier than her and you're so much nicer and you're so talented and you belong here. You know, that's like you have the quality what girlfriends do for each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 Abigail really nice tried to prop her there. up. <laughs> yeah. But I, I agree. I, want- I thought the dialogue was really good. And, you know, when he says, she's like, oh, are you in room eight or whatever? And I slip at the jail. And yeah, uh, yeah, I thought that whole thing that that was must good. be lonely. I have a dog. I have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how like Jack and Elizabeth handled the revelation of Rosemary coming into town. Like mm. Elizabeth acted a little bit offended that he hadn't told her. Like, well, why didn't he tell me if he was engaged before and all of that? And they got over that fairly well, I think. But I thought, you know, I'm not sure they were really at a stage in their relationship where it was like, by the way, let me tell you about this serious relationship I was in up till two years ago. Like, they really have just officially started seeing each other romantically. So you get that deep when, like, I was engaged and here's what happened at this point in their relationship. No, but you also don't say, I have no romantic experience either. You'd think that you know? would maybe come up in the Billy Hamilton episodes where she's feeling like, oh, I emotionally invested in this relationship and it didn't work out. That would have been a great opportunity for Jack to say, yeah, I know what that's like. I was engaged and she broke it off and broke my heart, but I'll get over it and we can get over it together. They but weren't really romantically that. involved at that point, though. That's true. But you could mention you could mention that in passing, I feel like. We all knew it was going there. So, I, well, I don't disagree that... He, you know, it maybe was a little bit soon, but they did get over that part pretty quickly, I think. I think they they succeeded in getting over that because what, what always bothers me in movies or plots that are relying on misunderstanding is that one of the parties um, sometimes stays offended for way too long and is not reasonable mm. about what happened. And Elizabeth was pretty reasonable about it. She's like, just tell me what happened. And he explained, and she's like, okay, that works for me. You know, like, she yeah. didn't have to continue being offended when it was not appropriate. Like, But she did tell him to, you know, take pause a little bit and think about what you really think before you move forward brashly into something. You need to, you know... Really Which is think smart, about it. right? But yeah. if this yeah. was like a Hallmark movie or something, it'd be like, I can't believe you didn't tell me. I can't trust you anymore. I'm never seeing well, you again. Goodbye. Just be yeah. in, instead of saying, can you I'm just please explain what city happened? And you can't stop me. Yeah, like, and he's well, like, and okay, here's what also... happened. She's like, okay, I get it. Here's like a reasonable and thought out response. You know, too reasonable. He also for handled Hallmark. handled really well. As soon as he found out that she was potentially yes. gonna leave he went mm-hmm. right to her and said is it true are you gonna leave i need straight to straight to the horse's mouth or the goat or whatever or the goat i almost <laughs> said goat <laughs> but you know he he really except for the fact that i wish that he had been a little more distant with rosemary i yeah. think he handles the elizabeth side of things well he yeah. takes time when she tells him to he addresses things right up front you know he's trying to get things head on a little bit and I know they want us to think that Rose, uh, Rosemary, she's so persistent and that's why she's still around. I really think he eventually does have that discussion with her after the whole saloon song incident where he says, look, I've thought, I've really thought about it and I, you know, I know that we had something, but it's over. I wish he just would have done that a little bit earlier, you know, which I guess it's good that he took the time to think it through, but just having things drag on and drag on like I feel like he could have been a little bit more firm in saying look this isn't happening 
I have a new life and you're not part of it in that way and you need to accept that and move on. I agree. I think he should have been more proactive in part because Rosemary was walking around wounding Elizabeth any chance that she got. And by not dealing with the situation, he was allowing that to happen. It's like when people have like um, uncomfortable in-laws situations. It's like if they're your family, you deal with them and not the other person, it, it's his problem, not Elizabeth's problem, because this lady yeah. shows up. It's his responsibility to make sure that this gets shut down appropriately, and she goes around town just being really hurtful and saying obnoxious things to Elizabeth about Elizabeth, revealing personal information, and by him not being more proactive, he's allowing Elizabeth to get hurt. Yeah. I mean, what did you guys think about the way that they wrap things up on their little walk? I mean, they. Can I just say first, why are they talking about American presidents? Aren't they in Canada? Yes, and also it's (laughs) secession, not succession. She meant she meant to say secession, right? That it was the cessation, the the secession, cessation, secession, not cessation. (laughs) Anyway. Whatever that was. Right. The South (laughs) leaving is not called succession. I just had to say that because he's he's acting like, oh, you're a smarty pants teacher over there. And she proceeds to mispronounce word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think. And also talk about presidents from a different country. Yeah. I'm glad that they had Elizabeth making that decision to stay before they went on that walk. So it wasn't like a. Well, since you're ditching Rosemary since and you staying asked. with me, I guess I'll stay in town. You know, I'm glad they kind of had that separate. You know, they maybe moved a little bit quicker. I don't know. They they had such drawn out antagonism and things. And then at the end, it's like, nope, we've decided we're together. It maybe was a little bit quick, but I know they put that in there because they knew the fans wanted to see a kiss. You well, know, it wasn't even like... I'm not interested in Rosemary anymore. You're the person I'm interested in. It was like, you're the one, which seems a, know, a little yeah. intense. You're the like, only one in the whole wide world that I'll ever love. Yeah, also, here's exactly. a drawing of you I've been hiding in my office. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. And uh, honestly, I just, kissing's always a little... You know, it can be a little awkward, but that, they're it was a little much really, personally really awkward to me. Yeah. It was just a little much, a personal thing, I guess. But yeah, and, ugh, well, kind of and what did you think bit. about? I thought they it was such an interesting choice to have the last scene of the season was between Elizabeth and Rosemary. It wasn't like oh Elizabeth and Jack looking up at Haley's comet. It wasn't Elizabeth and Jack kissing it wasn't about the mining disaster it was elizabeth versus rosemary was the last scene of the season and i know they did that to stir up the hardies because they wanted season two and they sort of imply that this antagonistic relationship between elizabeth and rosemary is going to continue with the promise of rosemary staying in town but in the grand scheme of things was that really the biggest plot point was I don't know. I just artistically to me that felt unsatisfactory. Artistically, that was not the best decision. I know they did it because they wanted to get you geared up. Like they had, they essentially resolved most. Of, I mean, most of their cliffhangers, except for the. I mean, the big cliffhanger is the mining investigation and what's going to happen yeah. with that. Well, and Bill, but they kind of resolved the relationship one, and so I guess they felt like they had to like rip that open a little bit. Give a little again. something to get yeah. you through. Yeah. So speaking of Bill, what did you think of Bill as he came into town? What were your initial vibes from him? And then how all of that weird, awkward things unfold between Bill and Abigail and Gowan? I feel like the first time I watched this season, I did not notice that there's almost kind of a love triangle thing going on here. And it's a little bit uncomfortable at times. Listen, I don't begrudge Abigail a happy future, remarried, anything like that. Many happy he, returns, Abigail. <laughs> many happy returns, <laughs> Abigail. Um, mazel tov. But <laughs> Bill comes in and he is so overtly interested 
while knowing so little about her. And she starts sharing these personal details. Oh my goodness, Morgan, you're about to explode. You better talk. Tell us what it is. <laughs> I just, he is so smarmy right from he the beginning. Is. There's no other word for it. He just, I do not like him. He's like the guy who is so suave and thinks he's so suave and he's just not like everybody can see through it. It's like just a bunch of frosting and no actual cake. That's because he <laughs> used to work on a soap opera. Nice, That's like nice who baking he is. metaphor. Yeah. Since yeah. it's Abigail, I like the Abigail's connection there. Bakery, you know. <laughs> Um, well, also, I really didn't like that line that he said, like, she's like, whoa, you're, you're, we're on a first name basis right now. I don't really, I'm like, I'm not, I, I don't give you the wrong, the wrong idea. Impression. And he's like, oh, that's my fault. I just get people to talk. It's my job. You know, it's like, people are always divulging personal details to me. I'm an investigator. It's my job. I just it's always like, walk around ew. getting attractive women interested in the things that I have to say and asking impertinent questions. It's my job. I just really hated that. And, you know, you I feel like they are trying to portray him as, even though he's the forensics guy, he's really tough and he can take a beating and I'm going to stand up to Gowan. Bill really starts to make it personal. Like, as he becomes more invested in this Abigail fling, he starts to really get in Gowan's face. And honestly, it probably is not helping the investigation. It would have been, he would have been cooler if he had remained kind of, cool and collected you know he would have had some i don't know some better presence or something he starts to lose his edge a little bit when he he gets in gowan's face you're like well we've touched a nerve there and did you notice that when gowan comes into the cafe right as abigail had taken down her hair gowan comes in and makes a remark about you've done something different with your hair it's very becoming your hair it's exciting it's exciting (laughs) (laughs) he's too fantastic exactly (laughs) <laughs> it was it was really weird how Gowan comes in and he's talking to he's basically threatening Abigail and um but Bill, with flirting flirt flirting but also <laughs> threatening it's it's a strange relationship dynamic that they have um but and then, then he leaves, Bill walks he leaves in saying, essentially having likely heard none of the previous discussion and just basically walks in and says, I'm going to beat you up if you keep talking to her like that. It's like, you didn't hear anything that happened in here. You just walked you have through the no door. Authority. You don't, you don't, you're not even like in a relationship with her, but you're just going to come in and just like act like this is your territory. I think you need to step off, Bill. I mean, and then they, per- they're trying to portray between Bill and Judge Black at the end, there's clearly history there and reference to some unfortunate gambling incidents on Bill's part. Bill it's can't like get along tra- with anybody. <laughs> they're trying to make Bill look so edgy and dangerous for a forensics man. <laughs> you know, he's wearing edgy. a khaki suit and he's a forensics man, but he's so he's so edgy. He's, and edgy. he's, so he's wearing a Charlie and- Chaplin hat. Like, how edgy can you be? <laughs> I mean, come on. He's so edgy. He goes flirting with women behind his wife's back. Like, yeah, we don't know. We, we don't know the whole story, but we don't know the whole story. But also, why would you bring? The picture, set it out, bring your wedding ring, set that out, <laughs> leave it there, yeah. and then be, like, totally cool with Abigail going to your room. That's just yeah. called stupidity. Yeah. Like, like I'm going to... You are oh, look, forensics Here's that picture of right? my family that I'm pretending I don't have, and let me just place my wedding ring that I don't wear because that signals that I'm not available. I'll just put that right there on the front of the desk. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Abigail, feel free to go in, like... He was, like, I guess because he's a forensic investigator, instead of just outright telling her the truth, he left a trail of clues so that Abigail could put it together herself. Because he knows the pleasure of solving a puzzle. He just created one for her. <laughs> yeah, that's he, it. He just walked around too much in his in his conversation with Gown, like he was the cat that got the milk. <laughs> you know? Like, with just, like, this sort of, like, a sly, like, hmm, I'm, I'm on this personal relationship with Abigail. Hmm. But... Can I, so, you know, he starts his investigation, Jack takes him into the mine, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what the laws are in Canada in, in 1905 mm. or whatever, but one, shouldn't you have to inform Gowan that you're on his property and you're investigating? Yeah. Like, two, mm. you just walked in and just started taking things, and, like, what is your what is your authority to just take things? Do you have a warrant? I don't know how that works in Canada, but I thought well, that was Well, he did weird. hand... After he already had gone in, 
and broken the lock off, he did hand Gowan some piece of paper that says, I'm with the Northwest Mounted Police Forensics Division, you know? And, but it's like, you've already broken in. Does that, how does that work? I wondered the same thing. If, it, if you're serving a warrant, you have to do that ahead of time and say, look, here's the warrant. Do you understand your legal rights and the fact that I'm going to search your property? You know, again, Those Canada, Canadians, early 1900s. I don't know. I don't know yeah. But then again, if they're going to cite American presidents, maybe we should just apply American laws to them. That's true. <laughs> Rule of law. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, kind of watching back through these, trying to take a different perspective If you didn't know any better, like, the only reason we immediately jump to the defense of Noah Stanton is because of the reputation of Abigail. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what if Noah really was at fault? Like, he really could be. We we obviously haven't seen the trial yet. We'll get to the trial. I know that they'll resolve some of that. But really, they're just playing up our emotions that like we're supposed to always side with Abigail and therefore we're siding with Bill because he sides with Abigail. And then we've got Gowan over here and it's like Gowan is having to call, you know, or send messages to the company and say, Hey, you got to send a lawyer out here. People are really investigating this. And you just kind of forget a little bit that he's a pawn in the hand of the company somewhat. And you know, I, I guess it just isn't as clear cut watching it through the second time. It's clear what they yeah. want us to think. But it also, you know, being objective, how are we to know that Noah didn't actually send the men in knowingly, like knowing that there were hazards? What about these debts that Abigail apparently didn't know about? Yeah. Right. And I mean, then- it could be a Cat Montgomery situation all over again where you thought your husband was a good man. Everybody in the community thinks he's a good man. And it turns out he's been gambling. Like, we don't. We don't know. And Gowan makes a good point about the plank. Like, if that's Noah Stanton's handwriting, what is yeah. he asking forgiveness for? Ma- like, Gowan made some made some points there. And I mean, you know, I he I just mean, he couldn't stop himself from making the threat about ru- of ruining her or destroying her or whatever. Yeah. If he had stopped before that, you know, what it would have been okay. He just always takes yeah. it like just one step just too a little, far. Just a little, little too far. Yeah, but. I, you know, you do wonder, too, Bill, did Bill go and get the circuit judge prematurely? I mean, their evidence had been stolen, and then all of a sudden, this judge arrives in town, beats up a guy, and then says, trial starts at 8, you know? Like, do we have enough time to prepare and gather evidence? They sort of act like, this is new information that Noah Stanton, the supervisor, may be responsible, and all of a sudden the company has paperwork, and do we have any evidence? Are they ready? I mean, maybe- yeah, how'd they get the trial to just, be tomorrow? Maybe it's just when the judge shows, I mean, he's a circuit judge, so when he's there, you have the trial, what, ready or not. But, but Bill but mentioned you, that Bill went to he, go get the judge and said he yeah. can't come for a couple days, and then he comes, so you'd think by then you would really be ready. Yeah, or like it's been, it's waited six months. Maybe we should wait one more month and really have our ducks in a row before we start trying to take the company to task with evidence we don't actually have. I mean, right now, what evidence do Abigail and Bill and Jack actually have? Right now, the paperwork is on the side of the company, forged or not. So they've kind of have painted themselves into a corner and the judge sort of says you know you're gonna have your day in court but you may not like it and i think that's that's kind of maybe true of how it's you know how that trial is gonna start out is they're gonna be they're gonna be the underdog yeah something about the pacing of it and how quickly the judge comes and all of that it, i mean it doesn't seem like you should just get to go demand a judge and have oh we'll just get him to come it'll just be a couple days you know and then he'll be here yeah. it, i mean maybe the legal system wasn't so backed up back then but it kind of yeah. seems like that's a little bit quicker yeah than natural you know but and well let's take a minute to talk about like the weavers and some of the other side characters i thought these episodes did a nice job of nodding to some of the other characters and storylines that we've seen throughout the season. They have a Rosaline cameo. They've got um, Mr. Miller who had the leg amputated. They have him showing up. They mention Wendell Backus, who was early in the season. They have Cat Montgomery sermonizing in the middle of the woods in cold weather. Classic you know, Cat. They like, 
Yeah, they made a lot of nods to some of the earlier characters, which I thought was kind of, it kind of reminds you of where they've come through the whole season. But what did you think about the Weavers and the that storyline with Wyatt? Ain't no way he read two college physics textbooks in two days. <laughs> Ain't no way. He is lying to Elizabeth. I mean, he may be smart. Like, he knew the thing about the phonograph. Um, and he knew an Edison quote or whatever. But... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but she assesses that he's a genius based only on the fact that he said that he read these two books in two days. That's the only reason that she thinks that he's a genius and goes to his mom and says, Not very scientific. Yeah, it's like you didn't even do a genius test on him like you did with Bo. Like, at least do some sort of test. But instead, we're just going to assume that, like, you know, he's brilliant. We, I mean, how would he, he even little- have the hours... To read yeah, no, that book not. because he's working in the mine all day. He comes home. He's having dinner. He said that he doesn't read in the room with his mother because she doesn't like it or something like that. Like, he reads in his room. And the guy has to sleep and go to work the next day. So He must get zero sleep. I mean, he walks his brothers to school. Like Maybe he has eidetic yeah. memory or something. Yeah, he must be a speed reader. Or And, you know, then we also see him... Spend a little time with Jem, who is not a child, by the way. She <laughs> I is am not, not a child. child. Clear. I am in school and I am a minor, but I am not a child. Well, I mean, what, 16, 17? That was pretty marriageable age. She's not 16 or 17, is she? She didn't look that old to me, but she could have been. I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe 14. He no, was 16, she was right? not 14. She was She was 16 plus for sure. I wouldn't say for sure. No, to- for sure. I would say she could no. be. Agree to disagree on that one. Mm. <laughs> no, I think she was definitely older than 16, I think. But, but at I least thought- Elizabeth didn't didn't like talk down to her in front of Wyatt. She was she was like kind of put, like, eh, okay. You know, because she could have, if someone, if someone has an out, an adolescent outburst like that, I am not a child, then you sort of want to scold that a little bit, but she didn't embarrass her in front of Wyatt. Yeah. I mean, this is another case of Elizabeth, it's a pattern, Elizabeth seeing a child, seeing like a way to help the child overcome their poverty and their family circumstances Mm -hmm. to get beyond, you know. Yeah. But yet again there's also kind of this this lack of balance with her where she just assumes that oh well you can go to college and it's like no i'm the man who's providing for my family i can't go to college and And when when mrs weaver brings that up it's like it had never even occurred to her even though she knew that the father wasn't in the home like you girl put it together yeah yeah. I, i she looked kind of dumb in that moment, I thought. And yet like, again, she's like, I'm sure you would get into school. I'm absolutely certain that you would make it into genius school. It's like, you, how, you don't know that. You can't, don't go you around don't, making those uh, kinds of You didn't of assess promises. his comprehension of the physics textbook. You just lent it to him and he returned it two days later. All right. And also, he comes in with that sort of fan invention and she just says, I'll just contact my father so he can get in touch with his patent lawyer. What does her father do that he just has a patent lawyer on standby? He's, He's a, a man business of business. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you father, are a business, business pro. Man. Yeah, apparently he is a business pro with a patent lawyer on retainer. Oh, uh, can we also say, apparently he also bourgeoisie. has pull, pull at all boys... Uh, public institutions Bri- or Briarcliff Academy. Yeah, on what qualifications did they offer her that job? Exactly. They like, they, they oh, don't know she's superior to other teachers. They're acting like to be she's the first the greatest, woman teacher. She's, so she's the greatest gifted. teacher ever. She's so learned. She's so gifted. Like, what are they basing that on? She, I mean, she seems like a competent teacher, but there's lots of competent teachers. You really feel like okay, daddy, daddy pulled some strings to make this one happen, and uh, frankly. They're not painting her family in a very flattering light because 
Although her, it's true and maybe natural that her parents are concerned, the fact that he's pulling strings to get Jack there and he's pulling strings to get Julia mounted escort and he's pulling strings to get Elizabeth a job offer at some prestigious academy in a sort of record-breaking way where she would be the first woman. And then Julie comes to town and she's so oblivious and so annoying. Her family is just looking very out of touch with reality and not very flattering i know they want us to chalk it all up to oh you know my parents are so concerned about my safety i'm sorry like you're an adult who made a decision and as much as your parents worry it's not very becoming of them it's to not keep pulling these it's, antics it's because her parents are rich people who don't get it that's yeah. why this all is happening the way that it is you know yeah uh, yeah probably the difference between worried parents that do something or don't do something is that the ones who don't do something don't have the means to try and do anything to change the situation. But if you're rich and you have that worry, you maybe are, are, have the capability of going further beyond what might be considered appropriate because you have the means to do that. But I will say at least she, she says, oh, I just know why it would get, would get into the school and he could get a scholarship and all that. And so, you know, okay, that's well and good. He probably, she probably should have talked to Wyatt before talking to the mother and that would have saved some embarrassment. And then she didn't think through the fact that he would be the sole breadwinner for his family, but at least mm-hmm. she handled the, the turndown fairly graciously. Unlike some yeah. of the other ones and where so she was the mother. really, she sunk her teeth into it and didn't let it go. But I thought it was I thought it was a good way to to leave it because it showed the maturity of Wyatt that he was he knew that he was the man responsible for making sure that his family was okay and part of being a man is making sacrifices so he was willing to step up and make the sacrifices he had to to keep his family going even though he could have gone bye mom and went off to college. Um, and had it paid for, you know, he made the more mature choice to stay and to be reliable for his family. I thought they made him very, they made him seem very likable, too. But I, yeah, I just, the Elizabeth's family, it's, it just, they're, it just, they, they seem so out of touch with reality. And they just must not have any trust in her at all, right? Because they've repeatedly, she's had other opportunities to leave and to bail, and she hasn't done it. And I'm sure if Elizabeth wrote to them and said, look, it's been really rough out here. I'm not sure I can do this anymore. They would, like, drop a hat and be like, yeah, get back here. We'll find something else. But she's made the decision to be there, and they're not showing that they respect her making her own decisions. Like, this is her decision to make, and... They're pushing, keep pushing another agenda, despite the fact the decision has been made and maybe mom and dad need to let it go a little bit. They're having a hard time letting, letting go of her. Yeah. And Elizabeth, I mean, they're worried because she had a run in with an outlaw. Lest we forget, that was entirely Julie's fault. Totally Julie. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's almost like, I wonder if Julie didn't give him the real story on that of like, there were just these crazy dangerous men and we, uh, we couldn't do anything. They just kidnapped Poor us. Poor innocent like, us. Yeah, like, yeah, Julie, you uh, fell in love with him and brought him into town, but okay. And I think we talked about last time, too, you feel like Julie walks away with a sense of, did Julie really learn her lesson from this whole experience? And then you see her again leaving on the stagecoach just very briefly. And you sort of get that feeling all over again of, well, I'm going to go back to the city and my creature comforts and blah, blah, blah. It's like she doesn't get it. You know, it's it's gone over her head. The experience hasn't taught her anything. So... An action-packed couple of episodes. Any final thoughts about the season in general or about how they ended things or the cliffhangers? What are we going to see going forward into season two? Well, I think they've set us up for some good tension and some. they've set up some plot lines to kick off the second season. So uh, the second season's pretty much probably set up for the most part on some of the overarching plot lines. So it'll be good to see some resolution on that front. I think, you know, one thing that I noted from these episodes was the idea that um, 
follow your heart was the right thing to do in terms of good decision making when Jack was deciding between Elizabeth and Rosemary, when Elizabeth was deciding whether to stay or to leave, it, the idea was just listen to your heart. Your heart is going to be, your heart's going to be right. It'll tell you what you need to do. And your heart is calling. Your, your heart is calling. Um, <laughs> just listen to what your answer. heart says. Just ask it a question and it will tell you the answer. It's just a little Shh, bit. I'm listening to reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. You know, it's uh, it gives you the warm fuzzies, maybe. Maybe other people gives them the warm fuzzies. It makes me a little uncomfortable because your heart is deceitful and wicked. Your emotions don't tell you the truth. Um, so that's maybe not the best decision maker. But in Happy Hallmark Land, you get to feel good about anything that your heart wants, even if your heart wants something bad. Rosemary's heart wanted her to be with Jack. But guess what? Too late, bucko. Jack's heart wasn't saying the same thing. Doesn't always work out that way. Mm. Morgan, final, any thoughts on how they've wrapped it up or what we're going to see going forward into season two? I, mean, I think it's good. I think they knew that they had pressure to resolve Jack and Elizabeth and kind of all the stuff they put them through to finally have them be together. I do get annoyed and obviously... We know moving forward there will be more obstacles in the path for of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And some obstacles are good. You can grow from them. And some obstacles just feel very much like just plot devices. Forced. Yeah. yeah, forced drama. It feels a little bit like the Rosemary thing was kind of that way. It was a little bit of just some forced drama, just a plot device to kind of add some tension. And so it kind of... You know, but they, they did resolve it quickly, which makes it feel even more like a plot device because when it's something that they get over really fast. But mm-hmm. um, I guess we kind of know that we're in for more of that coming up and then we're in for more drama with Gowan and the mine and figuring that out and getting that mystery solved. And then we're, you know, we have kind of all these questions we've been asking about Elizabeth's family and we're going to start to get into those in season two. So, you know, I think, yeah, overall... I don't know, you know, we'll have to look back once we've watched through all the seasons and kind of say what their the strongest seasons were. I feel like mm-hmm. this is probably their best season just from what I've seen in the past and everything. And like I said, we can reevaluate as we go through the other yeah. seasons, but I just think it it was very much real. There were some serious themes touched on mm-hmm. um and like you said, they they had those little cameos of those Um, characters from previous episodes um, that was really smart to incorporate those yeah I agree I think in some ways the Rosemary plot felt a little bit out of nowhere and maybe a little bit forced but they sort of do give us an indication that we're going to see more of what's going on there even though even though Rosemary's lost the battle is she going to win the war I mean she's sticking around so they kind of they give us a little bit of feeling of resolution there, but she's still going to be in town next season is what they're implying. But I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in the mining plot line and then Bill and Abigail, what's going on there. So they definitely set themselves up for some, some interesting things to come in the second season. But I do think it was a really strong season. They, they had a, did have a lot of serious plot lines for the most part. I feel like they handled a lot of those really well. And I thought particularly in these last two episodes, some of the writing of the dialogue was very good. So maybe that more of the wit is going to work its way into season two. I wouldn't be mad at it. Well, that concludes our analysis of One Calls the Heart Season 1. We hope you've enjoyed listening along as we work our way through the season. We will be covering more seasons of One Calls the Heart in the future, but in our next episodes, look for some interesting special editions as we watch through movies featuring some of our favorite One Calls the Heart actors and uh, listen in as we dissect those in the coming weeks.